This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can head to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and get bonus content multiple times per week. Thank you to everyone who supports the show, and I look forward to meeting more of you soon. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to the Zero Brightness episode in which we discuss Resident Evil 8. A hotly anticipated game, and I'm sure, for some, a hotly anticipated episode of this show. I'm just popping in here to give you a little bit of an intro and let you know what you can expect from this episode. So, first thing, this is actually going to be a two-parter because we actually recorded, I shit you not, almost four and a half hours of discussion about this game. Because, hey... It's a big game, there's a lot to discuss. So I'm going to give you the overall structure of the discussion, let you know where spoilers are and aren't, etc, etc. So for the first hour of this episode, we're going to be giving you just our general thoughts on the game. Kind of an overview, you might call it a review. We tell you about our experience playing the game, what we thought of it, etc, etc, etc. So that's the first hour, I think it's actually 78 minutes, and that's all completely spoiler-free. We do talk about the general structure of the game and the general structure of the story, but we don't go into any details that we would consider spoilers. So I think that's generally safe to listen to if you're being conscious of spoilers. The second hour of this discussion, which is the second half of this episode, is where we start going into the story and breaking down the things that happen in the game. So we talk about the different sections, we talk about what happens in the story, etc, etc, etc. That's also what the first half of part two is going to be. That whole discussion is kind of medium spoilers, I would say. We tell you what happens in the game, we break down the different areas, but we still don't talk about the really big plot twists in the game and like a lot of the stuff that happens near to the end of the game, which is where a lot of the big plot events are situated. The final hour though is where we totally break down the whole story and spoil everything. So once again, if you're trying to go in blind and avoid spoilers, I'd say the first hour 70-ish minutes of this episode are safe. Everything after that, use your judgment, proceed with caution. Okay, I think that's all I have to say. Let's get into it. Resident Evil 8, we played it. 
Uh, you mean Silent Hill 5, The Village? Yes. Because it's got a uh, Silent Hill protagonist guy for the protag? <laughs> yeah. I'm doing a bit here. I'm just really, really mad at everyone. So the thing is that Resident Evil 8 sucks because the protagonist is, is not smart. And the thing is that Resident Evil, we've come to learn, is a series where we really value the intelligence of the protagonists and the really insightful things that they have to say about the world. Like, I remember when, when Leon really taught me about friendship and believing in yourself. And, and uh, yeah, this game doesn't have that. So, zero stars, yeah. That's callback. <laughs> uh, no, but for real. We did play Resident Evil 8, which is the cinematic blockbuster experience uh, for horror gamers in 2021. I think so. Yeah. It was huge. I haven't been this excited for a game in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty public about, like, just being a total hype lord about it. Like, I just am not... Like, I was very skeptical of this game early on. When they first started showing trailers and talking about this game, I was like, this looks stupid. And the more that they showed, the more I was like, alright, this maybe looks cool. And then by the time we were getting up to the release, I was like, I hate this, but I am totally that 12-year-old that would, like, argue with people on the bus at this point, where it's like, this game is gonna rock, okay? It's going to rock. <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> this game rocks a lot. Yeah, I didn't play really anything. I didn't play the demos. I watched, I think I watched the trailer they put out when they did that weird, like, Resident Evil Day um, convention stream with the weird host. Yeah. And I watched, like, a two-minute sample of something and I was like, okay, I'm sold. And then I just didn't touch anything because I wanted to go in as blindly as I could. Yeah, for sure. Which I think was actually kind of a good move. Um, the demos were literally just chunks of the game and they weren't like particularly amazing chunks of the game either. Like, they were good for what they were, but like having to play them again in the game, it was like, oh, it's weird that I've already played this part. You know what I mean? They weren't slightly different at all? Uh, no. Like the the way the 7 demo was kind of the, the first, like the guest house thing, but slightly different. Like there were a couple of bits that they tweaked. Like nothing's different. It's no. Just, okay. Yeah. It's exactly the <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting that. And uh, it's not. It makes some of the choices make a lot more sense in context. Like... There were little pieces where I was like, why can't I go here or why can't I do this? And then in context, it makes sense. But um, yeah, I think the rollout for this game was kind of horrible. Uh, I think they did a lot of weird stuff that was sort of dumb. Um, definitely not enough to justify some of the hilarious articles that got written about. It's like Capcom's ruining my game. But like uh, it was definitely <laughs> the time demo was bad the way that they were super cagey about showing things was bad um the trailers i thought were kind of like mid extremely mid um but then like when you actually sit down and play the game it's like a fucking barn burner like yeah. from the start to the end like from big baby to big baby like it's just a fucking big boss baby boy shit it's boss baby shit um <laughs> And so in context, I, it did make me think back to the rollout. And I was like, that was kind of stupid. It was kind of a dumb rollout, guys. I, so I, I don't really remember, and you might have to help me on this, 
When did tall lady like become a thing? Because I'm wondering if they had some grand plan of sort of rolling out little chunks that corresponded to the areas or something, but mm-hmm. then everyone became obsessed with her. Yeah. And they are they just had to scrap their whole PR campaign and just roll with that. Yeah, no, that that seems pretty legit. Yeah, that happened last year. Uh, tall lady happened to all of us and now we're still living in the post tall lady world uh, mm. but yeah no I think that really is what happened because the for such a big game and once again you know me complaining about the rollout is kind of not it's neither here nor there just because like the game was really successful it obviously didn't really matter I think the people who really like this game really like it regardless people who don't like it were kind of always not going to like it I'll say that I have not been surprised by anybody's reaction to this game, personally. Like, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Like, you are a dour motherfucker, of course you don't like this game. Um, But, like, uh, I do think that it felt a little weird and scattered, that rollout did. And I think that's probably a pretty good theory on why. Because it's like, they definitely pivoted to playing up the tall lady and playing up a lot of the imagery that was getting people to make memes and and porn and whatever because like hey man that's what works and you know they had a huge like enormous launch for this game it's like the biggest in the series it's like huge steam launch so it's like okay well it worked for him you know yeah i've heard a lot of people talk like they think that wasn't ever planned and kind of going back and looking at it i think they chose that specifically because that area mimics the first mansion in the first game a lot mm-hmm. and they didn't really fully predict people latching on to to big boobies and all that stuff yeah um and so they really they really just shifted the whole thing yeah for sure for better or worse i guess because <laughs> I think every, I think all the areas are fun. I think they're distinct and interesting. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hate that everyone got so obsessed with her that they only want to play the castle or they want more castle. Yeah. I really like the pacing. I think the pacing fits the whole game. Everything works really well. Yeah, And I think if you are obsessed with the castle part, you're just telling on yourself. Yeah. Which is fine. If you like Big Lady, hey, go hog wild. She's on the internet. But <laughs> be honest about it. Don't sit here and try to tell me you just think the rest of the game is worse. Yeah. You just figured out that you can sneak around after her and she got a donk. Like, that's okay. That's you. <laughs> you do you. But, like, don't don't implicate the rest of us, little man. Don't do it. So you're saying I should put a Splinter Cell mod into RE8 <laughs> where I can, like, Sam Fisher stealth around and look at tall ladies' butt? <laughs> I'm not saying you should do that. I'm saying people already did that, okay? I got the receipts. I got YouTube videos that Cole sent me. Cole texted me the YouTube videos. <laughs> middle of the day one day. It was really funny because then I texted him back Rule 34 and he didn't know what that was. And now he knows what that is. So <laughs> I got him. He got me. It's all good. Yeah, I keep forgetting he's like a good bit younger. And so maybe he would have somehow missed. Yeah. The like the proliferation of uh, Rule 34. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. No, okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the structure of this game. Because, yeah, I, I think the structure of this game and the way they set it up 
is fucking brilliant. And yeah, I do think the marketing campaign focusing so much on the first section is a bummer in terms of presenting the whole game. Because, like, this is maybe one of the only, if not the only Resident Evil game that I think sustains its momentum over the course of the whole game and is paced mm-hmm. really, really well. Um, and I've talked about that many times on this show, that Resident Evil games have huge pacing issues and they have huge issues with starting off in an area that is really cool and interesting and then just kind of slowly going down the drain until you're at the end of the game. Or even in something that is better paced than the original, like the Resident Evil 2 remake, they throw in these weird sections where you have to play as Ada or you have to play as like Sherry and they're just not good and they kind of like kill the momentum of the game. This game, they solve that problem because, you know, kind of like you referenced earlier, they introduce a rogues gallery of villains, you know, and there's four villains. Each of them has their own area. You get to go and explore the area and then you have to kill them at the end of the section. And it works super, super, super well. And so Tall Lady and her castle, which is it's Lady Domitresque and Castle Domitresque, um, to stop using internet parlance for five fucking seconds, because I do have a brain, um, believe it or not. I've been trying to convince people otherwise, but I do. Um, uh, yeah, so she's only one section of the game. And then there's like three other sections that are all really unique and interesting. You know. And they are all different lengths, which is fairly notable. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's not like a like a Zelda dungeon or temple situation where each one's kind of approximately the same number of areas in time to beat. They're all maybe not wildly different, but it's not you're not locking into the exact same thing each time you go to a new place. Yeah, and then the time you can spend in the overworld, quote unquote, or hub area, or whatever you want to call it, factors into into that pacing. One thing that's really interesting is that even the play style of each area is not the same. So each area has its own mm-hmm. distinct play style, uh, and it it adds for a lot of variation, and it's really really fun. I mean, I think there's a little bit of mirroring with the first and last areas. Um, first area is the castle. Uh, which is this big, very classic Resident Evil puzzle box mansion. You know, there's lots of hidden areas and shortcuts to unlock and shit like that. And then the last area is Heisenberg's area, um, who is basically just goth Dale Gribble. And he's in a big factory and he's like a steampunk or something. And that area is also a big classic Resident Evil puzzle box with shortcuts and different floors and things to unlock, Um, except it's much more difficult and unrelenting like in the action and combat part of it. Um, I think that's actually a really interesting choice there, to have these shorter sections in the middle that have a really distinct, more linear playstyle, and then that's bookended by these like big kind of puzzle boxes. Yeah, I thought his area was a little a little more straightforward maybe that's just like the momentum of the combat you're kind of forced into yeah but i i found myself exploring that region slightly less and definitely just kind of barreling through it not really barreling through it because i tried to clear out and search for a lot of things yeah it it felt more linear than the castle did 
It is a bit, but it has all the same features. But it's just like you do have to run through it because you're being chased more mm-hmm. than even in the castle where you are also chased. But we'll get to that. One thing I thought when I was playing the game, though, and I think that the structure of the game and the choice to give you like four distinct areas and four distinct kind of boss enemies uh, plays into is that it kind of has a lot of similarities to something like Silent Hill 3 where it's trying to be like a greatest hits of its own series while also bringing in, you know, other different cool ideas from other series and just wrapping it all up in one like big fun game. And so I think like you can either really appreciate that or you just are not going to get into that, but like the game is going to throw like different things at you and different ideas at you. And it's not just going to be like getting chased in the castle by the tall lady. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to happen in the game. And for me, I love that. Like I just did a whole episode about how I love Silent Hill 3 and I love it when a team is like, let's go back through the series and kind of take all these things that we've done and make something that pays homage to it and does it really well. And I also think in this game specifically, they actually go through the last like four entries in the series or five entries in the series and are like, let's do all the stuff that we did in these games, but do it better. And that's kind of what my take on RE8 is. And that's why I like it so much. Yeah, I think the reason it might be a bit contentious is because I think the two games it draws from the hardest are obviously seven, since it's a sequel, mm-hmm. and four. And I know five and six get a lot of heat, but I think four and seven are more contentious games. Yeah. Because they were big genre switches for the series. Yeah. So I think when you combine the two games that like are a bit more divisive, you just <laughs> create an even more divisive game. Um, yeah. Whether intentionally or on accident. But I love that. That's the whole game. I kept thinking that it was just seven and four put together to make like an actual realized game and not like a proof of concept or something. Not that four was a proof of concept. Obviously, we know that's a very intentionally designed game, but seven at least felt like more of a dip in the toe into the, the walking sim market. Yeah, for sure. And I think that with eight, I got big vibes that their intention was to take seven and make it better. And also to put in a huge dollop of four and also make that stuff better. Um, But yeah, like you say, I think there are elements of all of these games that show up in this game. So I think that's why there are people who are having a negative reaction to this game or not liking certain parts of it because it's like, oh, like you either hate five and six or you've never even played five and six. So this is shocking to you that this is happening or like you hate this part of seven or three remake or whatever. So suddenly you're just like. Uh, oh, I don't like this or I don't get what's going on, but it's all in there. And to me, especially someone recently with you who's played through all these games, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this is actually amazing, you know? Um, So let's actually talk a little bit about the stuff that it pulls from 4 and 7 and how it kind of transforms them. Because that's like maybe the thing I wanted to talk about the most personally. 
Uh, so this game has huge, huge Resident Evil 4 vibes. I think anyone who's seen the trailer probably picked up on that. But playing the game, it's not diminished at all, right? Like, the atmosphere and the aesthetic of the game is straight from 4. Like, when you're walking around this kind of autumnal dead village and there's no music playing and everyone you talk to is a weird creepy person that laughs like they're in the FromSoft game you're like <laughs> oh yeah I'm in Resident Evil 4 but it also pulls in a couple other huge things to like the other parts of the gameplay that I think really make this game number one is the combat and number two is that like mono genre loop of like fight loot upgrade explore fight loot upgrade explore yeah one four of those features were so linear Mm -hmm. you were kind of you backtrack a a little bit in four um if you want to but it is mostly linear in that and in this game it is way more of a mono genre loop like you are you do have to pick when you want to do it still because you will close off some things, but you are keeping in mind that you want money and you want resources so you can craft, you can craft, which is, I'm still wrapping my head around crafting in a Resident (laughs) Evil game. I'm not against it, but I'm not sure that it's like a better choice than just handing me a box of ammo. I get why it's there and I think it's cool and it works, but it is still it's still it's like an afterthought almost for me because even i forget that it's a thing until i realize how low on ammo i am sure and then i tab over and make 50 handgun <laughs> so another game i think this game pulls a lot of influence from and i don't know whether it's purposeful or not i hope it was is the evil within 2 which is like one of my favorite games ever and i think mm. Evil Within 2 shows how if you take that basic RE4 style and you add some modern quality of life improvements and features that you can just make the game a lot more fun and inviting. So I think being able to like find components and craft is really nice because you don't necessarily get into that like I'm completely out of ammo thing. And you're allowed to be a little bit more like choosy with how you spend your money. Cause you're like, Oh, maybe I could buy ammo if I'm totally tapped out, but I could also just go look for parts and make ammo. And it just makes it feel modern. Cause like the old school thing of like the first resident evil where like you run out of bullets and have to restart the game that just shouldn't happen. Like we just, yeah, it's, yeah. we shouldn't do that anymore, you know? And I think being able to craft, is them just fully being like, okay, we're not going to do that to you anymore. Yeah. So I really like that. I mean, I guess if you're really, really bad at the game, maybe you could run up against that problem. But yeah, I, I would, I would hate to meet the individual that, that has that much trouble with this game. I think. <laughs> well, the difficulty is really balanced in this game. Like, uh, I said it in a video I made the other day, but like, you know, in clothes, when people say the fit is like true to size, the difficulty yeah. in this game is true to size. Like normal difficulty is normal. Mm-hmm. Like if you've played the other game, like if you played four and seven, like you can play it. You won't have too much like difficulty. Hard is hard. And I haven't tried easy, but I'm sure it's nice and easy. So if you haven't played one of these games before or you're not good at these games, like I'm sure the easy mode has got you. And I think that's great. 
because like you know being such an evil within head the first game was traumatic to play it on normal mode and just to like (laughs) absolutely get your like your shit just punched in was like not cool you know like i didn't like that yeah i started my second on hard and obviously i'm continuing a save so i've got i've got my big guns still Mm -hmm. um but it is subtle like i think the tweak and difficulty isn't quite as obvious as like enemies or bullet sponges or whatever Mm-hmm. Like you're getting you're getting a little less ammo when you pick up a box somewhere. Yeah, they, they deal a little more damage to you. But the trade off is by that point, you've probably gotten decent at the game's version of like a parry system, basically, which is you yes. block and attack and then you can push them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't no spin kicks. Sorry, guys. You, <laughs> you just got to shove them. Um, yeah. But it's like little stuff like that. It's not just overt. You're just dumping bullets into everything. Right. Um, but it, it is balanced because you've come to it with more knowledge or, in my case, better guns than you would start with. Yeah. So, yeah. It does, but- it does feel good to go back into the whole game a second time with, with all the knowledge and, and all that. Yes. Yeah. My second playthrough on hard was a new game plus and, uh, it yeah like having all the bigger guns and the huge you know armory and stuff uh was a really nice balance because yeah the game is hard on hard but if you're going as a new game plus you just have a lot more tools at your disposal but doing the new game plus also kind of revealed how well they nailed that loop because like so one thing i've said in the past is that i don't really I don't think you can gauge the quality of a Resident Evil game until you've played it more than once because you need to know how replayable it is and you need to know like how the game handles being replayed. Um, when I was playing this game, I was getting towards the end, like very close to the end, and I had almost upgraded everything, which was kind of nuts because like I like a game like Evil Within where that's impossible, so you have to do the new game plus, and then halfway through that run, you fully upgraded everything. Um, and then you're like, oh, okay, cool, this was worth my time. But right at the end of this game you unlock way more weapons and like twice as many upgrade slots so the upgrade system is the same as resident evil 4 where like each attribute of the gun has a slot and you can pay to like go plus one you know but uh at the end of this game you suddenly get like five more slots you didn't have before and a whole you know glut of weapons And I had also realized that it is maybe impossible. Please don't email me if it's not, but it's maybe impossible to get all the like character upgrades, like to your health and stuff in one run. And so that was fucking, I I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still mad about it. I missed one fish. I either missed (laughs) one fish or there isn't enough fish, but that's the one thing I need to finish the last one. And I'm mad. Yeah. I thought I missed a lot of fish and it turns out that I only missed the fish in one place, which would have been maybe three or four. And that was the only thing I needed to get all the upgrades. Like I had everything else, you know, just, but the, the fucking fish, uh, but like, I don't know. It was just cool actually to, to realize that at the end of the game. Cause I was like, Oh shit, this is going to be awesome. Cause my second playthrough, I'm going to be able to choose how I want to upgrade things. I'm going to have a ton of stuff to upgrade. And so once again, that loop of like exploring an area, trying to find all the items, maybe trying to kill more enemies than you would normally because you have more guns and you want the money they drop or sorry, the crystal skulls they drop. Every enemy carries crystal skulls in their back pocket. That's yeah. It's the kingdom of the crystal skull, dude. 
Some of them carry crystal torsos or axes, apparently. Yeah. It's a high it's a it's a hierarchy, political hierarchy there. The better your crystal thing, the cooler you are. <laughs> That's just cool guy shit. Like, I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. That's cool. It's extre- it's extremely high amounts of swag to have the crystal skull on you. Yeah. Especially if it's a perfect crystal skull or maybe a a red one, the crimson one. Yeah. It's just like dangerous levels of swag (laughs) it's like i mean i'm pretty sure that's what caused uh the chernobyl meltdown that's why soldier boy got as far as he did because he had that crystal skull on what were you talking about oh yeah so (laughs) the way that they (laughs) the way that they set up the loop of upgrading and exploring and comment out stuff makes the game super super fun it makes it fun for multiple playthroughs which as like a Resident Evil fanatic is all I want and it's all I've wanted and it's such a stark contrast to 7 which is a game that you love the first time and for me I kind of hated the second time because there was just no real enticement like yeah it was fun to relive the early game that's like very cinematic and fun up until like the chainsaw fight when you're just like I am better than this and then the rest of the game just keeps (laughs) happening (laughs) Yeah, and uh, the an even cooler part of that whole loop is that the the achievements that like so every platform's got achievements, but in this game those mean something because all those achievements tie to a credit system, and for yeah. each one you get, you get X number of credits that you can then spend on more guns to mm-hmm. to get in the game, which all have additional upgrades. So I think to literally upgrade every single gun all the way, you would have to you would have to play the game like four or five times. Yeah. Um, But it's 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 a fun it's it's more boxes to check. It's numbers go up. It's all that all that shit. Mm -hmm. So it's good that the game campaigns only, you know, six to nine hours, depending on on how you're playing, Mm -hmm. because that's. You know, you can play the game for maybe 40 hours total and, and get all that stuff done instead of playing a like 600 hour RPG or whatever. Yeah. But it's a good, it feeds the loop better and it's, it's a good, it's a good time. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that they took from the RE3 remake that I thought was really cool in that game, but it was like embryonic. Like in that game, once you beat it, you unlock that like achievement store basically where as you get achievements yeah. in game, you get points to spend, but most of them were not like that good. Like there's a few big ones that you get right away. Like there's a hot knife <laughs> that you can use, not the drug nice. thing hot knife. It's literally just a hot knife. YouTube um, hot knife? <laughs> oh, hot, like, oh that, like, there's YouTube hot knife too. I forgot. Yeah. 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 Where you, you cut okay. you a hot knife and then you cut a lighter. That's what you do. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was thinking about the drugs thing. Don't look that up. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Oh, yeah. So in Resident Evil 3, it's like a very cool idea (laughs) that isn't like amazing in the game. And in this game, it's actually done really, really well. And once again, it just makes you want to replay the game over and over and over. Yeah, there's definitely some like hokey shit like quote unquote figurines which are just 3D models so you can look yeah. at your vampire people all you want at your leisure 
See, and see, that's the thing. You don't need more of the of the mansion because you can just go look at your at your figurines. Mm-hmm. You look at your toys. You yeah. can look at your Funko Pops. Yeah, and you only need around. one hand to use to use the mouse to rotate. Mm-hmm. Them. Mm-hmm. Or the controller. Mm-hmm. You can make anything work. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna get one yes. of those those custom. Uh, Oh, the adaptive controllers? Yeah, you just I'm gonna mod one of those so I can use it specifically to look at the models with one hand. Or or you could you could mod it so that because it's got the things on the back. Um mm-hmm. you can map like you can map like left and right rotate to those, push them with your feet, jerk off with two hands. Uh okay. Now you're I thought you were going somewhere else with the feet, but I like where your head's at. I never go there with feet. You should know that by <laughs> now. I don't do that, okay? <laughs> Once again, gotcha. all you dirty right. little men out there, stop trying to implicate me in your thing. It's your thing, it's not mine. Uh, I believe they're called little boys. <laughs> little boys? All you little boys out there, stop it. Stop it. That's all I got. Okay, to be serious for one second. I do have one gripe with the gun upgrade system. Okay. Um, I miss the Resident Evil 4. You fully upgrade it, you get special upgrade. Mm-hmm. And that every gun had a unique special upgrade. That's not here. It doesn't do that. Yeah, and it's very unfortunate. Yeah, because I thought I kept, I fully upgraded the shitty handgun because I was like, I bet when I get done with it, it's gonna give me something, and it didn't. And I held on to that gun for way too long. In RE4, and and in this game, because it just from force of habit, I treated guns like I treat music gear, where you just use it until it's like, oh, better <laughs> one. I get that. And I sell the other one. <laughs> that's, so. that's different, though. <laughs> Is it? Because you can't really... I couldn't really, like, upgrade my old ass drum set to be, like, better than a new drum set. You know um, I mean? Some people would disagree with you there. I, I mean, I agree with you, but I'm just saying. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm too deep sure. in the industry. I know what they say. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. I don't care what musicians think anyways. I hate all of them. Yeah, they're pretty garbage. After after that guy, I thought that guy was going to talk to me after a show, and he just tried to sell me his drums because... He thinks anyone with a Vista like kit wants to buy more, apparently. Yeah. I don't know. Just don't yeah. care. Don't ever talk whack. to me after a show, that's what I'm saying. I think the worst... God, did I already tell this story? I probably have, but the worst one was I was playing a show and I said on stage that I don't have a lot of money. Uh, and then this dude came up to me and he was like, <laughs> why, do you have, why do you have all this music gear then? And I had to like, I was like, do you want me to explain to you how I got all my music gear for basically no money? And then he like said yes, and then I did, and then I was like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> that may that may have been a demon daddy's drop, so it's safe here. <laughs> yeah, definitely, it's new content. <laughs> it's, it's new content, content it's but DLC. it checks out. Yeah, yeah, it's new. It's new to you, DLC. Um, <laughs> it's Friday it's night on, runs. It's on Pod DLC. <laughs> on Pod DLC, you now owe me five dollars, listener. What I want to talk about now. I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the combat because the combat in this game is amazing. And once again, 
it represents them fixing in a big way you know the combat in seven while also taking a huge influence from resident evil 4 because like the combat in seven sucked uh it's even kind of hard to articulate why but it was just really slow and clunky and moving and aiming felt bad like it was fine when you were just walking around and and doing more walking simmy stuff but the minute you had to fight things it fucking sucked you know yeah so like this the thing with combat in that game is like it it sort of worked on a functional level you could you could aim and shoot things reasonably well but there was really nothing else to it you didn't have you didn't have like the upgrade system you didn't really have a extremely varied arsenal of weapons they were all kind of just samey sort of it, yeah. and they tried to make it part of the horror aspect of it by fairly often throwing you into like like just situations where you'd be pretty outnumbered right and you're just trying to find a way to get through it with however many bullets you happen to have at the time like combat wasn't a focal point so it then becomes an afterthought and yeah it like it felt like an afterthought in a game built around combat somehow at the same time so that's yeah. why it's not fun like you can't there's there's nothing engaging about it and there's no reason to keep doing it because you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to upgrade your guns you're not gonna get cooler guns really nothing ever really happens with it you're only fighting two kinds of enemies for the most part i'd argue that there's only one type of enemy in that game and some variations on it oh well on a on a extremely technical level there is only one type of enemy Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything's made of slime men and it works early game because like it is more of a horror thing like the first time you see one of the slime men it's scary and everything is so slow and clunky that you're like, Oh shit. But then like you say, later in the game, it becomes a more and more important part of the game. So by the end, you're fighting like hordes of these slime men and the combat is still bad. And at that point it's like, you either needed to make this better or take it out of the game. I think the game could have worked better. That game could have worked better without it, but yeah, it was just so frustrating in that game. It wasn't intentionally designed. Like, if they wanted to go for a slower, more methodical form of combat, they should have stuck with something that was more like the demo, where the Mm -hmm. only slime man you fought in the demo took... basically took exactly the number of bullets you had to kill. Right. He came at you pretty slow. He was in a hallway. (laughs) Like, but it was, you know, it it was just the right amount of spook, and you're... And that's just that's the whole thing. But in the full game of seven, it's more like three of them come out and you're like, well, I've got four shotgun shells and 20 handgun bullets. Yeah. Time to see how I can make this work. It's not fun. And so in this game, they decided to make the combat fun. So like right away, you notice that movement and aiming feel much, much, much better. And 
I'm really sensitive to this, this stuff personally because I always play with a controller. I've talked about this before, unless this is your very first episode. Well, side note, hi. Uh, second, <laughs> um, maybe you don't know, but I only play with a controller. It's basically for medical reasons, so don't send me hate mail. Um, <laughs> you notice I've been getting a lot of hate mail lately and it's starting to bug me. I mean, all you talk about is hate mail anymore. Oh, this kind of sucks. Nobody cared who I was until I put on the hate mail. <laughs> I don't want to be your friend anymore. <laughs> Damn, dude. Friendship over. Thanks, everyone. You did it. It's your fault. <laughs> friendship ended with hate mail guy. Now anyone else is my best friend. <laughs> um, basically. Basically. Sorry. But so on a on a controller, you really notice stuff like this right away. And and so immediately I was like, oh, like the movement is really nice and fluid. There's a super nice snap, you know, because there is auto aim and it's more like it helps you along rather than it aims for you, which is the best kind of auto aim in my opinion, because like you still have to play the game, but you don't have to have the accuracy of a mouse with your right hand on a controller. Yeah, it carries over a thing they commonly do for console shooters. That's like back from like Call of Duty days is it, it'll do kind of a vague snap too if you're mm-hmm. doing hip fire to aim if you just kind of have your reticle around an enemy mm-hmm. and you just click like in in the like one second window after you go to aim it will snap to like the nearest part of the enemy's body so you can do like a really quick like one two to get like an actual guaranteed hit if you're having trouble yeah like getting the the balance because all the enemies move slightly differently and they all have their little their little bobs and weaves so you can kind of do that really quick to to get a hold on things especially if you just sometimes you'll get lucky and you might stagger them or something so it's it's again more mindful than the the combat in seven yeah well and that's another thing too from Resident Evil 4 is that like in Resident Evil 4 the combat is very slow and methodical and it's very uh, animation based the enemies have these very exaggerated outsized animations so you learn to read them or you like try to read them maybe sometimes and you fail Um, and that's something I've talked about in the past as feeling like a big influence on Dark Souls which is like the purest version of that where it's just like all about reading animations Um, I think this game kind of closes that influence loop and makes a game that is slow and methodical and it's all about reading animations, but is also like fast and fluid and fun. One thing I've talked about specifically in comparing Resident Evil 4 to Resident Evil 5 is that in 4 it feels like there's a really good match of speeds. So like the speed at which you move and aim seems to really well match the enemies so it's challenging but it's not impossible whereas in five it really loses that balance and everyone is way too fast and way too you know accurate so you just get killed a lot i think this game has like a really really great balance of speeds between you and the enemy so it's like the enemies can be fast and powerful, but they also lumber. They have big animations. Like, you have the time to move, dodge, get out of the way, or line up more shots, but you can also easily get overtaken by them. Even when you're being chased by enemies, I think there's a really good balance there, because you can move really fast, like maybe faster than you've ever been able to run in a Resident Evil game, but the people who are chasing you can also run really fast. And so there's always this push and pull between like, do I need to hide? Do I need to ditch them? Like, can I take them on a straightaway? And it just makes the game like 
it's so good. And it gets back to that Resident Evil 4 feeling of like a very balanced, methodical combat style that carries the whole game for the duration of the game. Like you don't get sick of it like in seven or in five, you know? The other thing about it is that the game knows when to turn the combat off. So you're actually well paced and you're not all like, I mean, later in the game, there are a couple parts where it is combat focused, but for the most part, you're you're going in and out of it. Mm-hmm. So you have time to walk around and explore and all this stuff's telegraphed really well. So you're not I can't really remember a time in playing it that I entered an area where I just got like smacked over the head with combat that I wasn't expecting. Like yeah. you kind of know when you're going to be in that spot. It doesn't it doesn't respawn enemies. Like mm-hmm. all that stuff's scripted. So once you clear an area, you can just go back to it if you need to. You don't have to worry about just constantly fighting all the time. Yeah. Like when the combat's there, it's fun and then it goes away so you have time to to breathe and experience the other parts of the game that aren't combat, which I think makes a good combat system is is knowing when to quit. Yeah, exactly. I think the pacing in the game is just really, really good. So yeah, like right away, I appreciated that the combat was better. It felt better and it was actually fun to do. But yeah, I mean, I think in between each big section, I ended up exploring the village for like an hour. You know, like I had a full hour of just exploring, finding items, finding areas, fucking around. And that's in between each section. And like you mentioned, there are two sections in the middle of the game that one of them has no combat and the other has very, very little combat. So it really makes it fun when the game decides to really ratchet it up. And that's another thing I think the game takes from RE4, but actually does it well is slowly ratcheting up the combat especially at the end where it's just super like balls to the wall you have to fight a lot of fucking guys but because the combat system is so fun because you've had this nice push and pull the whole game you're like really ready for it i felt personally um and I think that's so much better than the end section of RE4, which I will admit is like the worst part of the game and borders on for me being like almost not fun, you know? Um, so I think they did that really, really well here with the pacing. And, you know, it's fun that you bring up the end of four because the end of this game, that area is extremely reminiscent of the final area of four. Yeah. But better done. I love that part of the game. And I'm sure we'll talk about it soon here, but a lot of people have been shitting on the last section of the game, which is the factory. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And once again, it's also like, it's just such a redemption arc for like stuff they've tried to do throughout the series. And it's like, Oh, they actually did that. Like it's so much like the last section of four where it's combat heavy. It's really intense. There's a bunch of weird lore dumps out of nowhere, but like, it works in this game. Whereas in four, it was just like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. and even as someone who loves that, game. I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a big spoiler, but like, there's no, there's no underground lab. Yeah. There's underground and there's labs, but like the, the trope of the, you go under the place to go to the lab. Yeah. That is found its way into all these games or a lot of the games. Like that's it's not here. 
It's not and here. And it was in the last one, so you had to wonder if they do it again. They, yeah. they, they found a way to keep that spirit because mm-hmm. every Resident Evil game likes to do the like last parts you go to the lab and you find something out. You find out the thing or whatever. And they, they find a way to keep that that you know historic Resident Evil trope without doing the really boring like derivative section of you go to underground lab. One thing that's really amazing about this game that I was hoping they would do, but I also didn't expect it because like you say, it's resident evil. You kind of are like, well, I'm ready for this thing to happen is that they keep the visual style and they keep the aesthetic and the vibe consistent throughout the whole game. Uh, So like, Yes, you go to, you know, you go to a castle, you go to a factory, you go to a couple mansions, like you do all that kind of stuff, but it's consistent throughout the whole game. So when you get to the end and it's a factory and yes, there are like steampunk cyborg men, like it still doesn't break the game's visual style or aesthetic in the way that it it does in pretty much every other Resident Evil game. And I think that's such a big deal. And it's also, you know, plays into how the game is structured and the pacing where it's like, oh, you guys finally made a game that goes start to finish. It doesn't break its own rules. It doesn't break its own visual style. And it just does the fucking thing. And it rocks. It's so good. We had a whole discussion about what we thought this game would be at the end of the Resident Evil 5 episode. Mm-hmm. I feel like they did a lot of really big shit with this game, and I don't think either of us were prepared for that. Because so, uh-huh. that whole discussion was, you know, all about could they not save Resident Evil, but do something with it that wasn't just a, like a, a, a fine-tuned remake or treading the same water. Like, could they really, like, reinvent it? And I feel like they did the the best parts of, all that of keeping it the same while still pushing it forward. Yeah. And they kind of did that. Like they've effectively like restarted the whole franchise. I think eight is a huge deal because it is a hard reset for the series. And yeah, it, it proves that they can do something besides a rehash or a remake. Cause like, yeah, seven for all its differences is essentially a rehash of a classic Resident Evil game. It had the same arc, had a lot of the tropes, you know, it it had so much of the same stuff that even though there's like big marquee stuff, like there are no zombies, there's so much other shit that's like, oh yeah, this is exactly like those old games. Eight isn't, and it does so many different things. I think one thing that's interesting, and we were kind of talking about it, in the lead up to the game of like, how are they going to handle this? Uh, is the linearity of the game? Like, I think I was wondering, is it going to be linear or is it going to be open world? And it's a pretty interesting mix of the two, actually. Like there are parts of it that are super linear, but then there are parts of it that are a lot like the RE2 remake or the city section of the RE3 remake where you can just go and do what you want. And you have multiple pathways and you can sort of like decide how you're going to tackle it, but you just have to like finish that 
tasks, you know? And the village itself is like super open worldy. Like you can just go and explore and find stuff as you go through the game. And I thought that was a really, really nice addition to like an RE4 style game. And I had, after I replayed RE4, I had said like, this game would actually be better if you could have more of that downtime running around the village kind of stuff and not have to do it in a linear fashion. Yeah, they found a really interesting way to make it a more condensed game world, but mm-hmm. still like really expanding what you can do in it and the time you can spend in it. It's it's like a really interesting time dilation effect. Yeah. Of the village isn't that big. Like once no. you get used to where everything is, you realize how tiny it actually is. But when you look at the map, but when you look at like how much stuff you can now go pilfer through in between sections, it becomes, it feels larger when you get to that yeah. point. And like they effectively made a, a mono genre game that isn't a 90 hour like Horizon Zero Dawn open world. Here's all the little map markers, go check them all off. It found a way to streamline an open world and make it linear like you like that's it, it is a literal mix of you go to a space that it locks you into that is a linear area mm-hmm. and then it dumps you back out but it also made they made the the circuit of doing like hunting and looking for junk in the wells and all that stuff into like somewhat of a linear experience while yeah giving you the option of like roaming around and, and having fun and like getting to know a space yeah. Well, I think it goes back to how they kind of leave you a breadcrumb trail of like updates and and upgrades and stuff too. So like exploring the village is really fun because you're finding things like, you know, you find wells and cranks and you're just like, "Oh, well, I have to come back to this when I get the item." And they really drop those items at the perfect time so that you're like, "Okay, I it's close enough to when I found the thing originally that I remember to go back and look, but it's far enough that I feel like I'm unlocking something new and exciting in the village. Or like when they introduce the fact that you need to hunt animals for food to make um, like the dishes to upgrade your character. Then you're like, oh, I remember seeing like a pig and I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it because I'm not a sociopath. I don't just shoot every pig I see. Look, I'm not going to lie. I shot the chicken <laughs> the second I saw it because I was like, remember in Resident Evil 4 when you... Or it, so oh, I think the first thing yeah. you... No, I guess the chickens are the first thing and you, you can find eggs or you can... Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I was immediately like, this is a game mechanic. They didn't put these in for nothing. So oh, I just I killed s- everything. <laughs> I saw the chickens and I was like, cute chickens. <laughs> and then they were like, I have to kill them. Oh, when I had to kill the first pig I killed, I felt real bad. That was different. Yeah. I hate killing animals in video games. It makes me feel so bad. Um, it it drives me crazy. So I had to kill Black Phillip? That sucked. Yeah, that super sucked. Yeah. And I've been really, for the last couple of years, trying very hard to not kill many animals in real life. So, like, goddamn. <laughs> All these video games I've been playing lately, they're just like, kill everything. How many animals did you used to kill? Well, you know, by eating meat, quite a few. <laughs> that was a, it was a, it was a bit. I was making a joke about <laughs> you being like a psycho kid that's just like beating squirrels to death with a rock or something. Well, here's the thing. I'm a really bad driver. I see a bird. I know I'm going to hit it. I don't try, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> God. 
right. It's going to get dark really fast if we, uh, we keep going down this road. Listen, every young boy used to torture cats. Don't try and tell me otherwise. So upsetting. I meant former young boys. I'm a former young boy myself. <laughs> So are you. If you were once a young boy, let me know. If not, don't talk to me ever. Actually, my whole stick is that I was never really a child, and that's actually true. I used to, you know, I used to go to, I used to go to carded shows when I was like 12 and 13 because I looked so old that nobody would card me. I had a, I had like a beard already. So it was like, you just, okay. You, you just tell them you had a long day at the mines and they'd believe you. Yeah, for sure. I just looked like I played bass in a fucking emo band, you know, like it's fine. Oh, well, you still do. So <laughs> I, I still have big emo band bass player vibes for sure. Uh, it's kind of a, a hindrance on my musical career. Anyway, um, <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh yeah. So the game <laughs> drops you these upgrades at just the right time that it makes feeling that, you know, the exploration of the village feel very like long form and epic even though yeah the game is short the village is small and i think it's great um and you know we'll talk about it when we talk about the individual sections but i do feel like those are my favorite parts of the game and i think the super linear parts they're not exactly as successful there's one part that i actually kind of don't like and one part that i really like so i do hope that going forward they continue to explore like mixing linear and non-linear parts because i really like the the non-linear parts do you think they succeeded in making a more evocative classy resident evil experience because i think you felt that that wasn't really attainable for them or that they shouldn't try but i think you know like i said they, they they broke a lot of ground for themselves on this one so I'm curious how you feel about that now. Well, that's a good question. Um, good question, man. Because, um, you know, they answered the question of why are there werewolves? Why is there, <laughs> like, why are all these characters more, like, classically, like, magical, you know, movie monster type characters and not just giant, which. <laughs> Not a big spoiler, but everything's a giant mutated monster. Eventually, it's Resident <laughs> Evil. They didn't yeah. get rid of it. No, um, but you know they they managed to make like something that presents itself as like a not a not a typical Resident Evil experience, but they they tied it into everything anyway. But in a in a new direction. There's no. I don't think the phrase T virus comes up a single time here. <laughs> well, yeah. So. Okay, so here's my take on this. Resident Evil is stupid. It should be stupid. There should be oh, yeah. an element. And, and when I say stupid, I don't mean bad. I mean, like, ridiculous, goofy fun. That is the Resident Evil brand. I don't think they need to change that. And like I've said before, I really reject the idea that they do need to do something that's classy and atmospheric and whatever. Like... That's not why we come to Resident Evil. And I'm honestly baffled by people who have that stance. Because it's like, how did you come by this? How did you come to be this way? I don't understand. Like, honestly. Um, but what I think that I wanted from a Resident Evil game is kind of like you're saying. It's like one where it's a more complete work of art. 
and it's like one complete piece. So the things that they do in this game that I really like is like they set up these weird story questions and they answer all of them, right? Like, and they even answer some big questions I had from seven with the ending, which is a very fucking good ending that I did not expect just because once again, I don't expect like good storytelling from Resident Evil. Um, (laughs) But so like things like that, I really enjoyed. I also wanted something that had a complete aesthetic and was a complete experience. So that's like I've said in the past, that's why I love Resident Evil 4 so much because Resident Evil 4, you go into the village, you play that amazing intro to the game and that sets up the whole rest of the game. That's the gameplay style. That's the aesthetic. And for the most part, they stick with it. Right. And I think that this game represents a huge step forward because they've returned to that, but with much better design, much better tech. And so they've made this game that is actually atmospheric and scary and really gripping. And it's like graphically beautiful. Like it's so gorgeous to look at and experience. Um, But it's also goofy and over the top and fun and it doesn't really sacrifice either side of it i feel you know and so i think that it's actually like a huge achievement for them in that regard yeah i know they said they toned down the scares and everyone else is saying it's not that scary but i I don't come to horror to be scared because it doesn't scare me anymore. Yeah. Like Visage got me a few times, which was exciting. But, you know, typically it's more about a vibe. And yeah. they locked in that vibe really well. And so it's it's like a high class B film. It's like it's like if you handed the fran- the movie franchise to someone cool, if you, which I can't hate Paul W.S. Anderson because he made him in Horizon. Uh-huh. But if you took him away and you gave it to someone else and you're like, hey, you got to keep all these characters, but make a movie. Yeah. I don't know who somebody, but they, and they and they did all that. They kept the story going, but found a way to like really just just really class the join up. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't I I can't fully explain how or why, but they did it. They pulled it off. Yes. Okay. And that is literally what I was just going to say and talk about some of the film references here, because that is, I feel what they've done with the game is make that kind of high class, beautifully made B movie, which I have over the last few years gotten very, very into personally. Like, these are some of my favorite movies that have come out. Like even in the last year, I really loved um, VFW and the movie Nobody, which is like the the John Wick with Bob Odenkirk instead of uh, yeah, Keanu Reeves. I still, I still need to watch that. Yeah, fantastic cool. film. But I felt that like when I first started playing this game right away, I was like, wow, they are going nuts with these film references. And they're not exactly direct references like, oh, there's like a prop from the movie, you know, like like something like that. But it was just like, wow, this is like straight. This scene feels like it was lifted straight out of this movie. And they're all what you describe, which is like this new kind of B movie that's like schlocky and fun. But it's really, really well made in some cases to the point of being really beautiful. So the first one that popped up to me, like into my head, uh, was of course John Wick, right? 
I think at this point, everybody should know, once again, unless this is your first episode of Zero Brightness, in which case, hi, hello, welcome. But uh, I fucking love John Wick. Uh, there are three John Wick movies, and they're basically one big movie, and it's like the best movie ever, right? And what I love about John Wick is that it is just a hyper-violent, crazy action movie that's a revenge tale but they make two big changes to the formula which is number one they give it this really distinct and striking aesthetic that makes a lot of the scenes and shots like really really beautiful and very very striking visually it's like this dark slightly gothic neon streaked like urban environment that's where the the movies are all set and The other thing they do is that they take a lot of influence, in my opinion, from like classic kind of like 90s Chinese action movies where they were just like very, very well choreographed, very inventively staged action movies. So every scene was really like riveting and eye popping and the stuff that people are doing was super crazy and not just like the wire foo stuff that people know from like Crouching Tiger but like just crazy fight scenes where people are fist fighting and using guns and just doing really insane shit you know Um, John Wick is like a throwback to that so you're watching a movie where there isn't a very heavy plot it's just a revenge story but everything that happens on screen is like so eye popping and amazing that's kind of how this game plays in a lot of ways where it's like first of all after you finish the first area it pivots a little bit the game opens up in a huge way and they're literally like okay now you're out for revenge here's your hit list go john wick them all um but also it's like just that mix of like yes technically you are just fighting werewolves but also it's really gorgeous the sound design is crazy so sometimes you're just out in the woods and you just start like hearing snarling and yelling and you're just like fuck where is everybody and it's super tense and scary just like the combat in resident evil 4 which i've argued is like maybe the most tense and scary part of any resident evil game they kind of just do that here um but i love that contrast i love the way that like those two things play together you know another thing that was obvious to me maybe it's less obvious to other people but as soon as you get into the castle and you kind of meet tall lady and her daughters who are all these like kind of insane people who like revel in violence and destruction i was immediately like this is the purge you know and like the more wacky characters you see in the game i was like holy shit this game is just the purge and i think the purge is exactly like what i described with john wick where it's like a really weird corny b like horror movie but it's done really really well like the first one is is incredible you know have you seen that movie do you like the purge at all i yeah i watched the first one i did like the first one yeah i didn't watch any of the other ones because i kind of i worried where they might go so i just tapped out of that franchise pretty much immediately because they also lost like the star power yeah because you had uh ethan hawk and uh old mm. what's her face from uh, game of thrones in the first one so it was a yeah it's at least like a strong cast and like a like a the premise and the and the casting was all like really localized and you only had so many characters and those are always fun movies to me. like i watched the lighthouse finally over yeah. the weekend like in movies where like the set's small and you only have a handful of characters like those are always really interesting so like the first one i thought was really good but 
once it became like this explosive franchise with 80 movies, I was like, I know I can't watch these anymore. It's like Saw, like the first yeah. Saw is like a fun movie, but like, why would you watch any of the other ones? Yeah. So I feel that way about Saw because I saw a couple of sequels and they're like, I thought they were horrible. I think I saw Saw 2 and 3 and they were terrible. Yeah, those are, yeah, those are the ones I've seen and they're, they're awful. But, uh, the Purge sequels are amazing because they're so fucking stupid. Like, I think they really did something kind of magical with, uh, the Purge sequels where they're just like, we don't give a shit. Uh, and they're very, very fun to watch, but you have to know going in that they're just like absolutely dumb as shit. But the original Purge is awesome. And I think it has that kind of like high class B movie vibe that John Wick has and that Resident Evil 8 have. But yeah, it it helped me contextualize some of the stuff I was struggling with. Because like in the demo, when you meet uh, tall ladies daughters, like they're like, "Ooh, I want to suck your man blood, you know, like I'm going to lick your butt or whatever. And I was just like, this is a little much. But then in the context of the game, I was like, oh, it's like the purge. They're like crazy, like oversexed, like weird psycho killers. I'm like, oh, okay, I fuck with that, you know, more than just and out of context. Then you kill them, and two hours later, you've moved on. Yes, I think it's extremely fortunate that they didn't somehow make those characters like more present throughout the game. Yeah, like for the whole game, they hunt you down or something. Like you kill one daughter per like three hours of gameplay or something. Yeah. You just, you get them all out the gate pretty quick. Yeah. I think they just, they do it really, really well. And so I think if you like the, the kind of movies I'm listing, then you're really going to like the whole game because the whole game has that vibe. And you know, like another movie that I wouldn't actually call a B movie at all. Cause I think it's probably the best movie. One of the best movies I've seen in the last 10 years is assassination nation. And I've talked about this movie a lot. Uh, but I'm going to talk about it again. Assassination Nation is kind of like if the Purge had an actual ideology at the center of it and was really, really fucking smart, but was exactly as like weird and goofy in some ways. Um, and that movie is amazing. And it also, once again, it kind of brings to mind this game. Not that this game has anything really to say, but it, like I said, it does kind of have like a, a good ending that's like kind of emotional in a way. And you're like, oh, that's actually really cool. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is maybe like in the modern day, this is like the ideal Resident Evil experience where it is still goofy and schlocky and ridiculous, but it's also just really well done and everything works. So you're not just constantly like, why is this happening? Or why is this person doing this? Cause like, like we played five and six and five and six are just a parade of like, why is this happening? You know, like even six, like even when you're having fun, if you stop and think you're like, what? Like, why is this giant monster trying to eat me right now? Yeah, the franchise is pretty much built on why is this happening? Uh-huh. It's all a really thinly veiled like world domination ploy and everything follows suit. All the characters are thin. Their justifications for their actions are extremely thin. Like, why is Leon so obsessed with Ada again? Yeah. Can anybody tell can anybody tell me where you find out why that isn't you have to read a like Japanese exclusive like <laughs> light novel that was only published for two weeks or something uh-huh. like at what point in any mainline game do they explain anything about that? He's just obsessed with like 
hot, confident lady that saves the day. But she doesn't actually save the day because she's evil. Mm-hmm. And so he's just like lusting after her for every game he's in because she's in every game he's in. I think, though, that there was a Resident Evil spinoff that actually explains this. Um, it's uh, <laughs> the album Pinkerton by Weezer. Okay. Did you, right. ever, did you ever play that one? <laughs> Uh, so what you're what are you telling me that Leon wants a girl who will laugh for no one else? No one else. And when he's not around, she puts her makeup on the shelf. Jesus well then Christ. Ada's a bad fit, and he should be told that. Serious question. Why has Weezer not been required to break up and apologize to all women? The UN or the CDC should have done this years ago, and yet, somehow, they've released two albums this year shameful i think that this game just does that vibe so much better and it's just you know it's just that slight alteration from being super over the top and ridiculous without end to like okay trying to actually set up a scenario in which they can do all this crazy over the top stuff and still make it feel like it fits and not like they're just trying to cram 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. Cause that's yeah. what a good chunk of the series is. I think something that's really big here is that they strike a good balance of making like a closed narrative loop that, did, but also sets up like future games and they haven't made a situation where they've just created a new trilogy that can just be referential mm-hmm. you know the way that like the only reason you would have played six is because leon's back yeah a care a character you can't possibly have any affinity for because there's nothing there's n- there's nothing yeah there's nothing there <laughs> so why would you be excited they've found an actual good way to keep the series rolling without just making it like oh Jill's back she's also blonde this yeah time. <laughs> yeah well and it's just really basic stuff like uh, you know if you have a character do something with the character that doesn't mean that they have to be some sort of really deep and amazing character or the story has to be really really you know incredible it's just like fucking do something with them the fact that ethan and mia are in this game and they do something with them you know i'm not gonna say what yet for spoilers but like that was huge for me because yeah like you say any other character in the series you have two arcs it's um become evil and go crazy or just get jacked that's it (laughs) like you don't have anywhere else to go if you're a resident evil character so this is groundbreaking stuff (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, you've got a family. Like, you have a family, and so there's a reason he's looking for his... It's his daughter. Right. Like, you don't have... And, you know, like, uh, Claire was looking for Chris, which makes some sense. They're family. Right. But, like, beyond that, it's every most of it's just largely pointless. It's just really thin excuses to get characters where they need to be for a, a game setup. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here you have actual characters who have some amount of direct interaction with each other. Yeah. And you get enough pieces of, like, what their life has been like, both by the events of Seven and some stuff in this. Yeah. That, you know, you get why they're there. You get why they might do a thing they do. 
and it all happens here. It's not just vaguely pointing back to four games ago or anything like that. I think that with the plot itself, it has a lot of nice beats in it that don't rely super heavily on character interaction, which is also a really nice change for the series. Like, I think they finally figured out that just like these movies I'm talking about, you can have the plot pivot in a really cool and interesting way that's exciting because it's pointing towards another experience or another set piece rather than trying to hit like an emotional beat. Like that's the problem in six is that they keep showing you these cutscenes of these characters talking and it's all just like awful, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. In Resident Evil 8, a lot of those big moments are like plot beats are literally just a story pivoting. So like I said earlier, it's like there's a moment where it's like, okay, now it's a revenge tale. And then there's a moment where it's like, okay, well now you have to do this. And then there's a moment where it's like, okay, well now we're heading towards the end and this like final confrontation, you know, and there's like a big twist near the end. And like, these are all really good plot beats just because you're playing a video game. It's video game storytelling. It's not just words or it's not just dialogue. It like has to interact with the things you actually do in the game, which I've now been saying for a hundred episodes. And so I'm happy to report that RE8 does that and it does it well. So like, once again, of course you can jump on Reddit and just be like, this is dumb, this is thin, this sucks, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, did it make the game fun? The answer is yes. And also remember you're playing a video game. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I think like one of the many complaints people want to level at Ethan specifically and no one else for whatever reason, like he doesn't have to have a thing to say every millisecond. Mm-hmm. Like the game needs to the game needs to speak for itself and drive you forward without him having a commentary constantly. And I think the game does a decent job of juggling he's a named character with thoughts. And the like Half-Life 2, you're Gordon Freeman, but you're a shell. You're just yourself in the game world. Like it merges those two types of of first person, especially storytelling like together. Yeah, for sure. And I think I guess maybe to some some people who don't like the game's point, I get that the fact that he is less chatty means that when he does say something, it's maybe a little jarring because it's still just dumb, you know? Like, I remember I was playing and Monica was watching and he said something like, you know, he like killed one of the bosses and he was like, yeah, like, fuck you (laughs) or something just really like bland. Oh, he says fuck you or something to that equivalent, like every hour of the game yeah but then monica heard him saying she's like oh yeah you really showed them <laughs> it's just like yeah like he's a chode but the <laughs> fact that he stays out of the way for most of the game and then like i said they actually do something with him at the end it like is mind-blowing but it's also once again it's like you have to finish the game to see that and we were kind of talking about that in the last episode where it's like Sometimes talking about these big marquee horror games is frustrating because it's like a bunch of people are going to interact with it who either haven't really had the experience with the series that we have or that like aren't really committed to finishing the game or whatever. And it's like, that's fine. I think anyone who wants to play the game should play the game and they should enjoy it in whatever way that they can enjoy it. I'm 100% inclusive. But at the same time, if you're going to start throwing around critiques, 
you should know that there's maybe something that you like kind of missed, you know? And like this game definitely packs in a lot of stuff right at the end. And it's not a very long game. So I don't think it's a huge ask to be like, before you pop off, maybe finish the game, you know? Or I don't know, just watch a, watch a YouTube video. Just watch some gameplay of it if you ain't never going to play it. Yeah, or listen to the second half of this episode where we aggressively spoil mm, the game. Mm. Or that. Mm. We're doing the internet a favor here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All that to say Ethan Winters is a chode with a heart of gold. So. Yeah, exactly. So I figure the best way to do this is just to kind of talk about each area of the game and just give some thoughts on it. And... Also, just <clears throat> effectively a, a plot blow by blow. Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, I think that in the early part of this, there aren't going to be huge spoilers or anything, but there will be later. And I guess if you think just hearing about what's in the game is a spoiler, I'll just put this all behind a wall and then, <laughs> and then you can make your own choices, you know? Okay, let's talk about the intro. I didn't expect that, that beginning. Yeah. You think about the beginning of seven and the beginning of seven is kind of dull is probably a strong word, but you know, you just, you drive in there and you walk into the house and the house is gross. And yeah, uh, it's a, it was a fine opening. It was an interesting opening for a Resident Evil game, but this one you're in a house and almost immediately, if you've played PT or you've played visage, like being in that house is just immediately off putting. Yeah. For sure. But like that's but that's also preceded by a really crazy animated storybook opening. Yeah. That sort of reimagines characters and themes from the game as like a Tim Burton children's book. Yeah. That also has like a it, it has a bit at the end and it's a fun little thing that they do. But the, the true opening is you're in the Winters's home. Yeah. And you're getting notes about where they are and why and Ethan's gun training handbook and all that stuff and it's they're putting their daughter to bed and they're kind of having a a little a little lover's quarrel. It's a powerful ending because you're just living you're living in the winters as life for a, a second in time and then Mia gets shot to death. <laughs> well that intro is really cool for a few reasons. Um, there's a bunch of references to other games in the series like hidden in the house which is really fun. Like if you go around and read every note and interact with everything there's tons mm-hmm. of Resident Evil references hidden around you also have a gigantic baby your baby is huge just big head big baby and i played this game mostly on a projector so that baby was fucking huge all right and i love that big baby that's a beautiful baby that was a well-modeled baby huge just amazing baby love that baby uh But yeah, and then you basically do this little walking sim bit where you're trying to put the baby to bed and then yeah, he's having an argument with Mia. This part of the game is also really cool because um, it's very weird and unsettling. And on your first play, you can't really put your finger on it. Like between that intro and the way that Mia is acting and the way that Ethan is acting, it's like, man, this is really weird and unsettling. And then by the end of the game you know why and so i actually thought that was a really cool bit of like storytelling in the game where you can actually when you replay that the second time you're like wow this makes a lot more 
sense. And yes, this is actually very weird and off-putting. Yeah, and it's fun to come back to on like a subsequent playthrough and, you know, like live in it a little more if you yeah. if you need to. Um, yeah. Yeah, because sure. it's like the, the house is like uncharacteristically dim and certain like it really does it feels exactly like you're playing either of those games i mentioned like it's built in that era it has like the lighting is is really similar they are acting weird i guess for lack of a better term like yeah. there is this, just something strange about it um yeah because the the lead out from that reading that because she's reading the opening storybook scene as a bedtime story to rose yeah and then the first line is ethan's just like what's with that creepy story yeah (laughs) and you are like what is with that creepy story (laughs) and then but it's it does cycle back but and you know ultimately you're just you you put your daughter to bed and you're just having an evening with your wife only for the lights in your house to go out suddenly and she gets shot once and then she gets shot 40 fucking times. Yeah, she's extra dead. And then Chris Redfield shows up and says, not now, Ethan. <laughs> and like, you're like, why is he so mean to Ethan? Yeah. Also, he's jacked now from seven because in seven he was a normal boy and now he's a big boy. Yeah, he's back to punching boulders for sure. And he uh, he takes your daughter and then knocks you out and then you wake up. Yeah, they kidnap you, but the car crashes, and you're just set loose. And yeah, it's a great intro, and I like the early part in the village, too. If you played the village demo, once again, you actually played a pretty good chunk of this, but it's even better in the game because there's a little bit of lead-up to where that demo starts. There's a really great, um, very RE4-style intro where you just have to fight a million guys and survive, but you know yeah. everyone gets called away by like a war horn yeah. or something mm-hmm. yeah Ex- uh, that that moment where the the bell tower rings and they all look at it and then they all run away yeah amazing yeah immediately just pulled back to four because a big part of me being excited for this game so strongly was like this weird nostalgia i've had for like being excited for a game and also when you were a kid I don't know how other kids lives were, but I think a lot of people had a similar experience of like, it's the weekend. So you get to go rent the game. Yeah. And you're going to spend the whole weekend playing the game and you're going to stay up late and you're going to drink Kool-Aid or you know, whatever. Like it was, yeah. it was all really wrapped up in that. So I'm playing this game and I'm hyped for it. And then like, it's just resident evil four, which was a big deal for me when I was 13 or however old I was. Yeah. When it came out. So it was, super fun to have like a big callback like a big obvious callback like that yeah it's really fun to see how things have changed since then because like the end of that scene is like this huge ogre dude like looming over Mm -hmm. you and it was just so crazy because like when re4 came out those graphics were amazing and super impressive and you're playing this game now and like when that dude was looming over me i was like this looks real like, this looks like they actually dressed yeah. someone like this and shot this with a camera. This is fucking crazy. And Yeah, he looks like a man, a fucked yeah. up man. Yeah. A man! <laughs> yeah, it's fucking crazy, but yeah, love that intro. The whole section after that, which once again is basically the village demo, it's you getting a little taste of the village, but you can't really go anywhere because everything's blocked off to you. 
And then you go and you have this little cinematic moment where you like meet everyone in the village and they all die really quickly. <laughs> uh, which is also, I think, very cool. I, I like that as a little storytelling device where it makes you think that like these are going to be characters in the game and it just instantly kills them all. Uh, oh, yeah. And then you're actually into the game. Like you basically finish the village part and then you go to the castle, you know? So it's a really great tight intro that makes you feel like there's more because there is later. You do get to explore the whole village and it does open up in a big way. But at that point in the game, there's nothing to do but just go right to the castle, basically. Yeah, it's a good early example of them sort of like subverting expectation a yeah. little bit. Like like they immediately subvert it by being like, hey, look at these characters you didn't know existed. Yeah. And so you think there's more to it, and then l- literally all of them die yeah. immediately. Yeah, you literally see these characters for maybe sixty seconds, uh-huh. and then they die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, um, I love it. Yeah, it's super cool, and that's just kind of like the momentum the game has constantly. Is you're always getting to a new thing while getting to explore the village. So yeah, yeah. So then you're in the castle which is the first big area of the game. And once again, at this point in the game, you don't know that it's like one of four areas that you need to explore. Basically, you try to go to the castle and you get kidnapped by Heisenberg. You watch this little scene where you see all of the big bads in the game. There's Mother Miranda, who's like the one who lords over them all. And there's Lady Domitresque, Heisenberg, Beneviento, and uh, Moreau. And they're all just these really freaky, weird people arguing. It's super ghoulish and weird. You know, it's almost like something out of Beetlejuice meets Texas Chainsaw. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like totally fucking insane. And at that point, I was just honestly so shocked by that that I didn't think like, oh, these are all the bosses in the game. I guess you could theoretically put that together. But yeah, I was just like, this is completely insane. Um, but yeah, you end up escaping from that and then that's how you end up in the castle. Yeah. And that's why the subsequent playthrough thing is fun because I think you're right. When you first enter that, you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You just know you're trying to get to tall lady's castle. If you know anything about the game, like, you know, that's her castle. It says it on the map. Like, yeah, you know where you're going, but when you've played it a second time, you're like, like, obviously this is all the characters and it, it is fun. To, it's cool. This game is extremely fun to replay. You should replay it if you've only beaten it once. Yeah, for sure. Well, another interesting thing too, is that like, you've already done that part where all those werewolf guys try to like ambush you. Um, and you have to survive that. And then at the, when you get kidnapped, they tease, like that's going to happen again. You're just like, Oh my God, no. And so the game is just like really overloading you with that, but it's kind of a cool call forward because at the end of the game, you do have to play some areas like that, but not at that point. You're not ready for that yet. Nope. All you're ready for is, um, Spencer mansion volume. Hmm. I mean, I would say two, but like the police station and yeah. Rising Evil 2 is just Spencer Mansion. So I don't know. V5, whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's very classic. It's very classically Resident Evil, which is clearly why it's like the front loaded biome in the game. Mm-hmm. I think I love the castle personally. I think it's great. There's a few things I really like about it. Number one, I think it's incredibly well designed 
as an area that you're going to be chased around in, right? Like, in so in this area, you have Tall Lady who stalks you, and you also have her daughters, although that's a little bit more scripted. But there are times when you do have to, like, find alternate ways to loop around and, like, avoid them. And I think it's such a well-designed area because even though there are, you know, pathways to unlock and, you know, weird kind of hidden doors and things like that, a lot of it is literally just knowing the map and knowing how to avoid someone who's chasing you. And it's incredibly well-designed for that. I think thinking back to the Resident Evil 2 remake, I don't think that map was as well designed for Mr. X chasing you around for as much of the game as he does. And that's why I had that issue with that game. I think it gets really clunky and boring. Um, I never felt that way about this section. Also, this section is not that long. Like it, it has a distinct end, like start and end point. And like knowing that and knowing that you actually can escape makes it really fun because you're just trying to like engage with it as much as you can, which I think is a huge change from Resident Evil 2 Remake and even from the beginning of Resident Evil 7. And I think it just makes the game much better than both of those, you know? It's a great opener to to the game. Yeah. And it's and it's a it's again great at subverting because the next area you go to is completely devoid of combat you get all your stuff taken away there are also some interesting changes to uh the stalking in this game right so if you're a resident evil fan at this point you've been stalked by jack in seven you've been stalked by mr x in two you kind of know how it works but lady domitresque and her daughters both work pretty differently Um, And I also, having played it on normal and hard mode, it's even different based on the difficulty, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, What I liked about Lady Domitresque is that it's very balanced. Like, she seems to, you know, check out areas in a way that she's not, like, constantly on your ass. But then if she finds you, she'll chase you, you know? And it doesn't ever seem like there's, like, magical thinking to the way in which she moves, even though she can still surprise you. And it also never feels like she's just kind of camping, which is kind of how I felt uh, playing the RE2 remake on hard. Like he'll literally just camp hallways and just trap you somewhere and you have to just like wait, you know, Um, I never got that feeling with her. I felt like it was it was very fluid and well-designed. She also doesn't really surprise you too much. Mm -hmm. Like you kind of know when to expect her. Because, like, she gets introduced about halfway into that area. Yeah. And she stays until you've completed it, or until you have to fight her. But you kind of know where she'll vaguely be. Yeah. And you get some tells that she might be in an area you're about to enter into before you get there. And it's not like Mr. X just, like, busting a door open on you. Yeah. And, like, sure, you maybe you could hear him walking somewhere, but, like, the 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 spatial sound on like his movement wasn't always like wasn't always great. Yeah, for sure. So it would be easy to think he's like really far away or maybe he's in a totally different room and you walk into a room and he's just on top of you Yeah, and you are, you can fight him sort of, you can't kill him, but you can like slow him down. But like in this, you, she's a bit easier to just dodge and get around. 
like she's kind of she's more fun in that way because it's she's there and it's tall lady and that's all good and fun but she's not like a a terrible menace to you or like hampering your your progress because i needed to double back for some things and i found it was still pretty easy to either just run past her or get her in a loop or just go like the long way even which still wouldn't even take all that long because in two remake you are like sometimes if you've got to go back for something you're going you're going through some areas to get there. Yeah. And he could pop up in every single one of them. But like she's if she's in the dining hall, she's not just going to show up in the basement or something and get you like you've gotten away from her. Yeah. And like that's what I'm saying. Right? I think it's just much more balanced. But there are still a lot of great oh shit moments. Like I had so many great moments yeah. where like I'd come out and suddenly she's there or actually my favorites were like when I would go into a hallway and then see her like either downstairs or she's walking away and be like, Oh shit, fucking like you have to hide. And yeah, like you're saying, I think the fact that you can sneak around her and get away from her a little easier than Mr. X makes it actually a lot more engaging. It's kind of like how I've said many times that like death in a horror game isn't actually good for maintaining tension. It kind of stops things in its tracks. She's a much more workable stalker. And that actually makes her parts of the game much more fun than I than I found like Mr. X, for example, to be, you know, and it's a little more interesting because she lives there. Yeah, like Mr. X is just like an umbrella baddie sent to kill you, but she you're in her house. Yeah. And so like, if you're like lucky enough to you sneak into a space and you just see her walking around like she's not alerted to you, you're effectively just watching her exist in her home. Yeah. Which is kind of weird and interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, sure. you know, maybe she sees you and she does the thing where she turns on her giant hand claw and yeah. like starts walking towards you. And it's it's it was just like overall more fun and a little more lived in than walking around that police station and having a giant dude in a trench coat and a hat. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, like he needs to dress like a human because no one would be like, What's up with this 10 foot tall gray guy? Yeah, <laughs> that's he's normal because he's got a he's got a hat on. He's got a madman outfit. Yeah, he's got a trilby on. He can't be not a human, right? Don Draper just busting the RPD, smashing down doors. And... <laughs> Here's my pitch for Coke. <laughs> um, oh God. Yeah. And I actually think, too, that the way that she's animated and the way that she kind of behaves visually is also really cool and kind of adds to that as well. Like Mr. X is such a like unstoppable, like superhuman that is is just kind of boring. But yeah, like her extending her claws or her walking towards you and like yelling something at you. It feels like a little more human in a weird way. And I guess I liked that a lot. Like, yeah. And it changes as you like take out more of her daughter. She gets like more upset, obviously. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's just, yeah, it's more it's like that. That's the problem is everyone tried to praise Mr. X for being like a procedural wild card. But procedural generation in a game like that isn't as procedural as you think it is. And yeah. then it just runs the risk of being bad game design. Yeah. And so here it's a natural cycle that progresses along with you until it's concluded instead of just being a random number generator for a bad guy. Yeah. Totally. What I also think like 
the fact that it changes based on the difficulty you're playing at also makes it once again more fun to replay and yeah i think just making the stalker aspect of it more workable makes the game more fun to play like sorry i i think one play of that like super unstoppable rng guy is kind of enough and having done it like five times now i don't like it <laughs> you know i kind of never want to replay resident evil 2 remake because i just didn't care for that like i wanted to be able to freely explore that zone and i couldn't because he was just always there yeah exactly and that's why i liked resident evil 3 remake so much more and that's like now when i want to play that kind of game i just play that game I and mean, especially that little open like city section it's fucking great but yeah i think this is a much better experience of that type um and yeah i i think it's just a huge improvement and it's really great i think another thing too is that so at the end of this uh you have to fight her and she turns into a giant like re6 or re7 style bioweapon dude and it's actually pretty well done again like they do the big bosses that are very cinematic and have phases and whatever but yeah. it's cool actually you know so the the creature design vaguely reminds me of some stuff from like five but you know in that game you just kill the thing till it dies you're just mm-hmm. in a, a set zone and you shoot it till it's dead but you know in this it's a progression and she's destroying more of the castle and she's getting angrier and you're falling through shit and it's way more involved yeah and it's just a bigger spectacle you're you're on a mountain the castle's built into a mountain yeah for sure so you have like these crazy sky boxes and vistas while giant bat dragon b bbw what are they <laughs> called again <laughs> no that's what they're called yeah okay cool uh yeah you know that's all that's happening it's it's a much cooler looking naturally progressed spectacle that is fun to engage in and isn't just like a weird shooting gallery well yeah and i think that even seven sometimes would lapse into that re5 style of like it's just a like a rail shooter when the enemies get too big and I think it's cool in this game that mm-hmm. they, they don't really ever do that. Like they kind of a little bit do at one point, but it never really devolves into just like, okay, get on this turret and shoot this guy. Like it's all still within the combat system and it all works really well. Look, I got to say the one time it gets to that, it rocks. <laughs> yeah, there's also that. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. You kill Tall Lady, you fall into the church where you get the glowy orange box, Mm -hmm. and then you find out what's in the glowy orange box. So that's when the game pivots, which once again, I think is a really cool, very John Wick plot point where it's like, okay, so they've taken your daughter and she's supernatural and they've split her into four parts so you need to go collect literally yeah literally and you need to go collect these essences to reconstitute your daughter uh and like the merchant guy is telling you all this and he's like your one friend but he's just like the merchant from re4 where he's kind of creepy and untrustworthy but he does become a friend by the end yeah he becomes a very a very likable character yeah yeah and in this and in this time ethan is like beside himself like of course of course in true resident evil fashion he's just like well okay i guess i gotta put my daughter back together yeah but you know like 
he's just like, oh, cool thing that they probably don't want me to have. I'm going to take it. And yeah. And the Duke's like, you're holding your daughter. <laughs> and he's just freaking the fuck out that they turned his daughter into pieces. Yeah. Well, and there's actually, you know, there's actually another thing I forgot. There's some pretty cool, like, subversions of those kind of classic Resident Evil tropes. Uh, of like magical items and stuff in the section because even before that like um near to the end of the castle section you find a note that's like there's a mystical dagger hidden somewhere in here and it can kill any like supernatural enemy and so you're like oh cool i gotta find that dagger and then like right before you fight lady domitresque at the end you find the dagger and she grabs you and you stab her and instead of it being like oh she's dead she turns into like a giant evil boss which is really funny and then yeah at the end you grab this vial because you're like this is probably some magic thing and then you go back to the merchant and he's like yeah that's your daughter's head it's like oh shit (laughs) yeah don't ask me how i know this (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so that that is actually very cool but then you know the village partially opens up to you you get to go do some exploring it is very very wavy and cool yeah well it's at that point too that you get your first little it's the umbrella logo yeah uh-huh because you walk out and there's a little like altar and of course the uh, like a, a a little it's a bit more archaic but it is the umbrella white and red pattern. yeah and that happens a few times here and there, but ultimate, ultimately the the term umbrella isn't really mentioned a whole lot. Yeah. But so after that, the second area in the game is the uh, Beneviento house. Great area. And it's such a crazy hard left turn for the game because it starts out where you, you have to explore the village a bunch and you have to you know solve this puzzle uh, and get this key. Then you find the area, you go up to the house. When you first go in, it seems just like another little mansion type environment, but pretty quick. Well, it's not even that big. It's like yeah. a it's a house. Yeah. It's a you know bigger house, but it's still just a house. So you're like, what? This is a very small place. Yeah. The, well, in the castle, there's like a detached house part of it that you can go to, and it, it's about the size of that little section of the castle. And so you're like, oh, this is weird. Like, is this yeah. going to be a really short section? But then you go to the basement. Mm-hmm. And it turns into Visage House. It turns because there's into a whole visage. house beneath the house. <laughs> yeah. And so this whole section, there's no combat. And it's all hyper surreal, super psychedelic horror. And it basically starts with like, you finding a picture and a bunch of notes that are all referencing Mia. And then you find like a doll that looks like it looks like it's modeled after Mia. Oh, it's a life-sized puppet. Of yeah, her, basically like a wooden six foot tall puppet of your wife. Yeah. <laughs> On an operating table, too, or whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah, for sure. And as you start interacting with it, all this insane psychedelic shit starts happening things keep going pitch black and yeah there's a whole new area to explore we have to find keys and solve little puzzles while this time you're being stalked by like a giant monster baby a very very gross body horror like Cronenberg like baby yeah that's just going like ah, blah, 
it's like chasing you around it is fucking crazy it is like so weird and unnerving that the first time you encounter it you're like i cannot believe this like it is unbelievable that they actually put this in the game and it is fucking so cool and then for a split second, I was like, is that Rose? Did they get her? Did they turn her into giant baby? <laughs> Evil baby. Yeah. Or giant turret baby? I don't. Yeah. Very gross and very upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Super weird and unnerving. Um, it's also basically like an escape room, you know, uh, which I thought was a really cool choice because it's like a little environment. It's very tightly wound, linear section, but it's also full of very creepy unnerving horror and then you know even like as it progresses you go back upstairs and you have to do this thing where you're like hunting for this doll which seems to be in a house of dolls in a house of dolls dolls everywhere so if you don't like dolls this is big shit for you yeah yeah they're all over the place chattering shaking everywhere it's insane yeah like if you ever had to sleep in your grandma's craft room and it was completely full of dolls and you were like i am not going to survive the night uh, this will really hit for you like it hit for me. <laughs> yeah, it becomes very like Chucky, very puppet master because yeah, you're hunting the doll you've seen before in mm-hmm. the, the little family quarrel meeting. Yeah. And you have to find her in a room and you just start stabbing her with the only weapon you have, which is like a pair of scissors because all your weapons are gone. Yeah. When you end up in the basement with all the lights off, they've taken all of your things. Yeah, for sure. So you're stabbing this doll and then she disappears and you have to go find her again. And yeah. And then you find out that um, it's not the doll. It's the, the, the puppeteer. Mm-hmm. That is the, the person that is the daughter quote unquote of mother Miranda. Well, and here's a, a good place to talk about a couple things that I wanted to bring up. So number one, um, I already listed some film references to like modern stuff, but there's tons of like eighties and nineties film references. You know, in this section, obviously, we're talking about Puppet Master, talking about Chucky, big time. Small soldiers? <laughs> small soldiers. No small soldiers love? Damn. Dude. All right. Small soldiers is legitimately one of the most upsetting movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like really upsetting. It's a fucked up movie. Yeah, it is. In the castle section, I felt like there were multiple scenes that were lifted straight from Terminator 2, actually. Uh, and just the general way in which like the, the lady and her daughters move. I was like, Oh wow, this is big Terminator two vibes. Um, yeah, sure. All the werewolf stuff reminds me of silver bullet, uh, big time. And one really obscure one is the Guinea pig film. He never dies, uh, which is basically about a guy that literally gets cut into pieces until he's just a head and he doesn't die. And it's kind of like a weird, like gross out comedy. Um, and I think for obvious reasons, this game made me think of that constantly because also he never dies. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, we did skip over the part where she cuts your hand off. <laughs> uh, Lady Domitress cuts your hand as you're trying to escape, like clean off. Mm-hmm. So you're running in a circle away from her waiting on an elevator, I think. Yeah. Or something. And like Ethan eventually grabs his hand back and just goes... <laughs> And like puts it back on and pours the first aid stuff on it. And his hands just okay again. 
Yeah. His shirt sleeve is too somehow. That's the see, that's the part that got me. Yeah. Everyone freaking out about the hand, but like I'm like, why is his shirt sleeve still okay? Like, why did it just reattach? But that's your that's your first inkling that there's something going on that he like just too much. Cause in yeah. seven, he wakes up with his hand stapled back on and yeah. healed by someone else. But in this game, fully, he's just his own master. One thing that's cool about it making all these film references or reminding me of all this stuff is that you really don't know whether they're just doing it to ratchet up the tension and be ridiculous or if there is a point to all of it. And I've been wondering mm-hmm. that since seven, since they cut off your hand at the beginning of seven, I was like, what's going on here? And they actually answer the question at the end of the game. And that totally blew me away. And I absolutely love that. So if you had those questions from seven, this game answers them, which is very cool. The other thing is that kind of like you just mentioned, and they get into this more later in the game, but they did the seven thing again of like a fucked up family where each person is kind of a boss, but it's done so much better in this game. Like the characters are more interesting. The areas are more interesting. They actually finish all the stories unlike seven where the, the fucking Florida man guy just literally disappears because it's DLC or whatever. Like I was so fun. It was so fucking whack. And like, when you think back to that game, people were like psyched because it's like, Oh, it's like the Texas chainsaw family or whatever. It's like, dude, this is that, but it's like a hundred times better. Like, come on, get with it. It rocks. It's so good. No one's ever happy. I guess nobody is ever fucking happy, but, um, I love this section. I think it's great. And I also think in a pacing way, it's great because like the classic Resident Evil thing to do, which Seven did and every game before it did, was that if you were going to have your more like pure horror quote unquote parts where it's not action, you were going to shove it all in the beginning of the game and then the game was going to ditch it about a third of the way through. I love that in this game, there's a push and pull. So like by the time you get to this part where there's no combat, and it's all just puzzle solving exploration you know vibe you have already killed a bunch of fucking werewolves (laughs) like i love that i think that's such a good choice yeah they kind of and thematically there's more of a reason for that like ethan I guess they don't even tell you who he works for, quote unquote, but there is a part where he gets a phone call that just says work. I and love he that. references yeah. like he references Chris training him. Yeah. Here and there. He there's notes and stuff for that. So I think maybe he has some formal combat training at this point in, yes. the, in the series. Yeah. So like him just killing shit relentlessly has somewhat of a setup. Yeah. He isn't just like a dope, a dope anymore. Yeah. It's not out of the realm that he would just be killing all this shit. And then it's also, you, you get some explanation as to why he can just get like impaled seven times in 30 minutes. And he's just yeah. like cooling. Yeah. Without a problem. Yeah. But I, I also just think like, it's so weird to think about it now that it's like, why did it take the Resident Evil series like 25 years to realize that even if your character is a capable action hero, you can disempower them at any point in the story to make the story more interesting. Like, 
every action movie does it. Like at some point, the character is down at heel. Maybe they get captured. They lose their weapons. They get overpowered by the enemy. But like, they can come back. It doesn't have to be a linear, you know, scrub to Schwarzenegger story every time. And like, I remember with Seven, I read and watched videos and all stuff. So many people were praising, like, I love how you go from this, like, from scrub to Schwarzenegger. And it's like, that's not new or interesting like this is so much more interesting in that classic pulp story kind of way you know like your hero it can be both an action hero and down at heel depending on where you are in the story makes things more interesting yeah i mean they it's very interesting that they gave gave him like a like a thematic reason for why he's made that transition and why he yeah. is like kind of a <laughs> kind of a goober, but he can still kill people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a much better like logical glow up for him than yeah. just having like Chris has gotten like fifty more pounds of muscle on him. Yeah, and works for, sure. for a different counter bioterror agency or whatever. Well, yeah, and I think it's cool they set it up well, so it's pretty logical, like you say, where it's like. So at the end of the game, he, you know, Chris gives him a hand and they get in a helicopter. And so if you didn't play any DLC or anything like that, the game just opens and it's like, okay, Ethan and Mia are basically in witness protection. Ethan has gotten some combat training. Go. That's how the story starts. Like, okay, I, I get that, you know? And yeah, once again, it is much better than Seven. Seven, I like the intro in the swamp, but like the actual intro cutscene where he like watches two different like, you know, MP4s that his wife emailed him and then is just like, I'm going. Like, that's just weird. <laughs> that's not a great, like, not a great setup. This game, it, it does it much better. That's it for part one. Join us next time for the conclusion of our Resident Evil 8 discussion. We'll see you out there.